Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Wes Johnson, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Wes Johnson. I get to serve as the worship pastor here at Westbridge Church. It's great to see you all and a privilege to be together to worship the Lord together. Uh, If you're newer to our church, we're going to be doing something a little different today. If you've been around here for a while, you you might have come to expect what we might do here on the first week of September every year, but it's going to look a little bit different than what we might do on a regular Sunday morning. As John talked about, at the start of September each year, We launch into what we call a new ministry year. So if you're newer to our church, this is when we outline and and really springboard together into where we believe God is taking us over the next year. But for the first week of September, uh, each year, we set aside as our day of prayer. And so this is really the day where we hit our knees and and seek the Lord together as His church, uh, that He might lead us and continue to guide us, that He might help us to live with open eyes and open hearts to where he might be taking us in the coming weeks, in the coming months, and in the coming years. So today's going to be a little bit different, but this is a great time of the year for us to do this, for us to pause, for us to regroup, uh, for us to refocus. We're getting back into the swing of school. We're a few weeks into the school year now. For you parents, we're setting up our schedules for the fall because it's still, I guess, technically summer, right? Sort of, though it's cold now and rainy. Uh, So This is a great time for us to look at our schedules for the year ahead and make sure that we are keeping the main thing the main thing. And so today, really, the challenge and the application is is very simple, and it's this, to respond to the call of Scripture to be devoted to prayer. And that's what we want to do today, and that's what we want to commit ourselves to over the coming years, responding to Scripture's call, to God's call for us as His followers, as His people, to be devoted to prayer. It's a theme that we see multiple times in Scripture, um, but I just want to point us to a few of those, and they'll be on the screen, but the first one is Romans 12, 12. It says this, it says, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. I think we can all agree this is something that we struggle with at some point in time in our walk with Christ, consistency in prayer. And so hopefully this morning we'll have some encouragements around, uh, around doing this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18 say, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It changes things, doesn't it, to think about prayer as God's will for us, as God's will for His followers to pray to Him and to pray continually, rejoicing always and always giving thanks. And Colossians 4.2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And, and this is really the, the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. What, what does it look like to devote ourselves to prayer? I think one of the things we like to tie prayer to, we like to tie our prayer life to, is time. It, it almost seems like in this verse, it would be so much of, of, an, of an easier prescription for us if this verse said, devote your time to prayer. That's something I can wrap my head around. That's something I can do and, and mark it off the list, right? I do, devote a lot of my time to prayer. But it's actually much bigger than this. If you look at what this verse is saying, devote yourself. What does it mean to devote ourself? 
Coincidentally, devoting ourselves to something is a devotion of our time, but it's so much bigger than that. It is a devotion of our attention, but it's so much bigger than that. When we devote ourselves to something, oftentimes it's a devotion of our resources, but it's so much bigger than that. Specifically, when Scripture, when scripture calls us to devote ourselves to prayer, it is the intentional offering up of our wants, of our needs, of our hopes, of our fears, of yes, our time, our attention, our affection, our failures, our shortcomings. In summation, it is the offering up of our desires unto God. And this is the essence of what prayer is. If you wanted a simple definition of prayer, prayer is simply offering up our desires to God. God, here are the desires of my heart. I give them to you. And very simply, we're, we're just responding to God's invitation through His Word to ask. All throughout His Word, we see the invitation from God for His people to ask of Him. And yes, prayer is more than just asking, but at the heart of prayer, that, that's what it is. We're asking of God. We're requesting of God. We are petitioning God. And here we just read three scriptures that actually command the Christian to pray, right? That's what these verses are. But here's the beauty of this. It's, it's more than just a command. It is more than just a duty for the follower of Christ to pray. It is actually a delight. It should be a delight for us to pray. Why? Because it is a delight for God when His righteous ones pray to Him. Listen to these verses. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says, "...the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked." but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Other translations say, but God delights in the prayer of the righteous one. Psalm 145.18 says that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This should be a perspective shift for us today, right? If we know that when we come to God to ask for things, that this is God's will for us. God wants us to pray. God is delighted when His righteous ones come to Him and ask. You know, it, it, it should shift something in our minds to know that we are not the children who are, uh, who are fearfully approaching a vindictive father to ask him for something, afraid that he might become angry or impatient. This is not the God we worship. Instead, God has invited us. I, I hope that you'll see today that, that we serve a loving Heavenly Father who has invited you into relationship with Him and who communes with us through prayer, where we come to Him as His children to ask. God cares so deeply about our prayer that even when we do not know what to pray for, His own Spirit intercedes for us. This is in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What a gift prayer is for us that God has given us to be able to meet with Him, to talk with Him, to approach Him as children approach their loving Father. Well, today we are setting aside time to uh, to do just that. As a church, we're setting aside time this morning to pray and to seek the Lord together. And to structure our time in prayer, we're going to turn to a familiar passage found in Matthew chapter 6, 
If you have your Bible with you and would like to open it to Matthew chapter 6, or uh, if you've got a digital Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, um, or grab a Bible from underneath the seat in front of you. This is a familiar passage where Jesus teaches on prayer. This section in Matthew chapter 6 is part of a larger talk that we famously call the Sermon on the Mount, right? I think every one of us has heard of the Sermon on the Mount, context of which we find at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus goes up on a mountainside. His disciples come to him. Jesus sits, which is the posture of the teacher in that day. Jesus sits, and he begins to teach his disciples. An important note, who, who is the intended audience of the Sermon on the Mount? It is the disciples, the followers of Jesus. We notice that throughout the Gospels, we see large crowds following Jesus. Oftentimes, Jesus will teach the crowds in parables, but here specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus goes up on a mountainside, his disciples come to him, Jesus begins to teach them. So who is the intended audience? Followers of Jesus, which is the hearers in that context and the hearers now today as we seek to follow Jesus well. In the overarching theme of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his followers how to follow God well. Jesus is saying, if you are going to follow me well, this is what your life will look like. And so tucked in the Sermon on the Mount, we have, um, starting in verse 5, the section where Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. And so let's jump in here in verse 5, uh, and we'll start at the beginning of verse 5, which says, and when you pray, pause. Okay, we're going to pause here, and you can probably guess why. There is a huge implication here in the first four words of this section on prayer, and when you pray, you might even underline the phrase in your Bible, when you pray, do you see the implication here from Jesus? The implication is that followers of Jesus pray. When you pray, it's what they do. I love what the commentator Matthew Henry says. He says, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. This is the assumption made by Christ as he teaches on prayer. Followers of Jesus pray. It's what we do. So now Jesus continues in verse 5 to 8. He gives us two warnings when it comes to um, our, our prayer lives as followers of Christ. He gives us two warnings for his followers to pay attention to. And so let's read verse 5 and 6, and we'll talk about this first warning given by Christ. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So let's pause here for a moment so we can um, fully understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't be like the hypocrites. He doesn't mention them by name, but most likely he's talking about the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, who he says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the street corners to be seen by others. So these religious leaders are setting themselves up in the public squares or in the synagogue so that people will be impressed with the way that they pray. And Jesus says, don't be like them. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What does Jesus mean by this? It means that the reward that the Pharisees are looking for, which is the approval of men, they've received their reward in full. This is the only reward they're going to get. Jesus is saying there is no heavenly reward for praying pridefully with prideful motivations in a way that these religious leaders do. He continues in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
So it's really important for us as we think about prayer today to, uh, to pay attention to what Jesus is actually warning us about. It's actually much less about the location of where we pray, and it's a lot more about the condition of our hearts. Jesus cares about the condition of your heart when you pray. He says, don't, don't pray in the wrong motivations like the Pharisees, a way to avoid doing that. Go into your room, pray in secret what the Father sees in secret, he will reward. If you read this whole chapter, you see that this section of prayer is tucked into, um, it's in the middle of two other sections uh, where, where Jesus says, he talks about giving in the first section, then prayer, then fasting in the next one, but he uses the same language for all three. He says, when you fast, or when you give is the first one, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Give in secret what the Father sees in secret, he will reward. Then he says, when you pray, go into your room what the Father sees in secret, he will reward. Then the next section, is, he uses the same language. When you fast, don't make it apparent to the world that you're fasting. And what the Father sees done in secret, he will reward. So in three times, in three habits of Jesus' followers, he warns us about keeping our hearts pure. It's much less about location of where we pray and much more about the condition of your heart when you pray. Let your prayer be done in a pure heart with proper motives in the same way that we should give with pure hearts and proper motives, in the same way that we should fast with pure hearts and proper motives. So that's the first warning. When you pray, pray with the pure desire for one thing and one thing alone, and it's seeking Him. It's seeking the God that we worship, our Heavenly Father. He warns us about our hearts. He continues on in verse 7 and 8. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus warns His followers to not keep babbling like pagans. If this is a command from Christ, it's important that we understand what Jesus is, is really saying here when He says, don't babble like the pagans. So that word babbling in the Greek is translated in that definition a couple ways. Vain repetition or to mutter mindlessly. Vain repetition or to mutter mindlessly. The idea of vain repetition of just repeating things for the sake uh, of repetition. And Jesus says don't babble like the pagans because this, this is the religion of uh, just ritualism. I come in, I'm going to say the things that I need to say, I'm going to mark it off the list, and then I'm, I'm done. Uh, that, that's what Jesus is warning them against here. But really, I, I think the helpful part of that definition for us right now here in these moments today is, is muttering mindlessly. And I don't know about you, but I, I wrestle with this in my prayer life, that sometimes I will pray and just give absolutely no thought to what it is that I'm praying. Sometimes when we pray, we have these form prayers that we'll just pray just out of habit, but we do it, we do it mindlessly. So really, I think the warning here from from Jesus is not to disengage our minds when we pray, or else we're just babbling like the pagans do. Blah, blah, blah. We don't, even, we don't even know what it is that we're actually praying to the Lord. Jesus is warning us against a mental apathy in prayer. It's so dangerous for our prayer lives when we become apathetic to what it is that we're actually praying. And I, I think this warning of praying mindlessly is, is so important for us today because here and now in our busy culture in our busy world, we've gotten so good at doing so many things mindlessly. I was thinking about my own life, and the thing, the most practical example that I thought of for myself uh, is driving. And I don't know if anyone else can identify with this. Maybe it's just me. 
But you know where you drive for like five to ten minutes, and then all of a sudden, it's like your mind wakes up, whether it's on your commute to work or you're taking the kids to school, and it's like, oh, I'm here now. I don't remember getting from there to here. Does this happen to anyone else? It's, you're just operating in autopilot. And, and somehow we can even do something as important as driving and giving no to it whatsoever. But the danger here is that the same thing happens in our prayer lives. We get into our prayer lives and we treat it like our commute to work, just giving no thought to what it is that we're actually praying. And Jesus is saying, don't disconnect your mind when you pray. Do not pray mindlessly. And then he continues and he says, In verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Some people take these verses to mean that our prayers should be short. And if you look at the the template of the prayer that Jesus gives us, it is pretty short. But I think think there's a a greater, a bigger thing that's happening um, than just simply our prayers should be short. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, not all of Jesus' prayers were short. That night in the garden before the cross, Jesus prayed all night, so long that His disciples couldn't they couldn't stay awake. So I think the, the bigger warning in this prayer is, is don't become apathetic when you pray or else your prayers, they don't mean anything. They're meaningless. They are, they're the same as when the pagans uh, babble on. And Jesus says, don't, don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so this might raise a question in your mind. I could think of someone maybe reading this and thinking, if this is true, If God knows what I need, even before I ask Him, then why do I need to pray? Why why should I pray if God already knows what I need before I ask? And this is a great question for us to engage with. If we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, so God is in control, everything is ordained by Him, but also God's omniscience, that God knows everything both within time and outside of time, past, present, future, God knows all of it, why is it so important? Why does God communicate through his word that it's so important for us to pray? Who then needs prayer? Does God need prayer? The answer is that we need prayer. We desperately need it. Prayer is the means that God has given us through which we approach him as children approaching their father. It's through prayer we acknowledge our need and dependence upon God and humble ourselves before God. It's through prayer that we call upon God to fulfill his promises. And as we do that, our faith is strengthened. Our faith is bolstered bolstered as we, in prayer, become radically aware of his presence and God's purpose that is at work around us. It's through prayer that we pour out our hearts before God, pour out our cares to God, and then leave them there with God in faith that God will act in accordance with his will. And so this is where Jesus begins to teach us how to pray in verse 9. In the start of verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. He doesn't say this is what you should pray, so this is not exclusionary terms of when you pray, pray only this prayer. Jesus gives us a blueprint for how we should pray, and I think that here is where it becomes practical for us as followers of Jesus here at Westbridge Church to engage with this prayer, um, this modeled prayer that Jesus gives us. And so that is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to walk through each section of this prayer, section by section, praying through it, uh, each one as a crucial theme of, of which Jesus tells us that we should pray. 
So what we're going to do, I'm going to read each section individually of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to give a brief thought about it, just, just so that we are all uh, understanding what it is exactly that we're praying about. And then I'm going to provide space for you um, to meet with the Lord and, and to pray. We'll have a, a moment of silent prayer for you to pray, or even if you'd like to pray with your spouse and pray quietly out loud. Absolutely feel free to do that. But we're just going to put this into practice. We're going to pray together through the themes of the Lord's Prayer. After each section of silent prayer, I will pray um, to wrap up that time of silent prayer, and then we're going to respond in song to each of these together also as the, the song will be mixed in. So as we continue into this time of prayer, I would encourage you to heed Christ's warnings of examine your heart when you come before the Lord and engage your mind with what you are praying about. Let's, let's pray mindfully today of what we're actually asking of God. So here we get into the first section of the Lord's Prayer. The first section is this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here we see the, the primary directive of our prayers. First and foremost, we are set upon one goal, one aim, and it's God's glory. The word hallowed, which in the Greek means to make holy um, or to consecrate, in essence, the prayer is may your name be made holy. May your name be revered as holy. Or in even simpler terms, God, may you be glorified. May you be glorified in me. May you be glorified in your creation. May you be glorified in the nations. This is the reason why we and everything else in creation exist. And it's interesting, every other petition in this prayer flows towards this one goal, the glory of God. I love the refrain in Psalm 57, uh, which is this, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So now let's turn our hearts and our minds to prayer to glorify God and to ask that He might receive glory individually from our lives, but also that He might receive glory in His church. So take a moment and pray. Father, you reign. You are robed in majesty and armed with strength. You are the God who inhabits eternity and has established the earth. The earth you have created lifts its voice in worship to you. The heavens declare your glory. 
the skies proclaim your works. Lord, in the earth you have created, may your name be revered as holy. Lord, you are exalted over all the nations. May the nations praise your great and awesome name, for you alone are holy. God, in all we do, may we, your people, revere your name as holy. May our lives declare your greatness. As your church, may we pursue holiness as you have called us to be holy, for you are holy. In the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. this prayer is your kingdom come. Jesus teaches us to pray that the kingdom of God would come. There are a couple ways that we can understand what Jesus means here. It has multiple connotations, this phrase. The first and most obvious is that God's kingdom would come on the earth, that God would establish His kingdom on the earth. We know that God will one day do away with all evil and sin and death. He will reign and he will dwell with his people for eternity. And if we pause here, what a, what a great thing for us to pray. 
You know, it, it seems like directly in front of our eyes is constantly the fallenness and brokenness of the world, so much so that it's so easy for us to be consumed by it. And this section of this prayer is one that enables us to look above the fog of the world and see the brightness of the kingdom of God that is coming. And that enables us to step into the difficult places in life filled with the hope of the gospel, that Jesus is coming back to bring us to be with him. And so this is one of those prayers that just helps us lift our eyes. The second implication of this, uh, as Jesus teaches us to pray for the kingdom to come, we know that Jesus himself told people in his message uh, that the kingdom is at hand. And so the reality is that the kingdom is manifested in the heart of every believer. What we experience now only in part, we will one day experience uh, in full. So we pray not only that God would come and, and establish his kingdom on the earth and make the wrong things of the world right, but we also pray that God's kingdom would grow within our hearts. We pray that God's kingdom would spread as the lost are found and as God draws sinners to himself. So now let's take a moment and pray that this would be a reality. Let's pray that God's kingdom would come now in the hearts of those who don't know Christ, but also that the kingdom would come now to eternally destroy hell and death. Both of these things God has promised to do. So now, as we request of God, we are simply asking Him to fulfill what He has promised. So let's take a few moments to petition the Lord for this. God of glory, we long for the day when Christ returns. We long for the day when you will set the wrong things right. And Lord, we pray that this longing would be the greatest desire of our hearts, even greater than our desire for earthly security, possessions, or pleasures. You have told us not to worry about our lives, but instead to seek first your kingdom. So, Lord, may this desire for your kingdom grow within us each day as we see the day approaching. Lord, we also ask for your kingdom to spread here in our community as you open eyes to the truth of your gospel. Through your spirit and your powerful word, would you save the lost? Would you open the eyes of the blind? Would you soften hardened hearts? allowing your kingdom to spread here and now into peoples across the earth. 
Lord, we call upon you today to fulfill what you have promised. We trust that you will do it within your timing. God, would you give us patience amidst the messiness of life? Would you help our eyes to remain fixed on you, fixed on the coming kingdom? It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. of this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we surrender our will to the will of the Father. We know that God is sovereign and what He has willed, what He has purposed, no one can disrupt. So here in this prayer, we submit our will to the will of God. We know that we are constantly in a battle of wills, aren't we? Our sinful nature is at war within us. So much so the Apostle Paul says, I know the good that I should do, and I don't do it. And he also said, I know, I know what I shouldn't do, and those are the things that I do. We are constantly in a battle of wills. Our sinful desires are warring against what God 
has called us into. And so this prayer is simply that we might surrender to the will of God, that God would help us to put to death our will, to deny ourselves, deny our flesh, take up our cross and follow Christ. This prayer was ultimately modeled for us in Christ himself in the garden as he contemplated the cross. He prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. May we be willing to let go of personal comfort, temporary worldly pleasures, and all things so that God's will may be done and accomplished in us and through us. So let's ask of God for this together. Father, we thank you for the example that we have in Christ, who was obedient to your will, obedient even to death on the cross. Lord, we acknowledge today that so often the will that we submit to is not yours. So often it's ours. Your word has told us that in our hearts we plan our own course, but you, God, are the one who establishes our steps. So, Lord, may you establish your will in us, in our hearts, in our minds, and may you bring it to fruition. We surrender to you our agendas. We surrender our ambition. We surrender our own plans for our lives and ask that you would substitute them for yours. Father, would you give us a willingness to follow you, to follow you into difficult places, to follow you into unknown places. And we ask today, God, that you would increase our faith. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Christ models for us that it shifts. There's a shift here from being radically concerned with the glory of God to now how that um, impacts us on, a, uh, on our, the level of our daily needs. And the prayer shifts to a prayer that God would supply our needs. And what a blessing it is that God cares for us in the way that He does, that God cares about the small things of life and that He is faithful to provide. It's in this prayer that we depend that we are reliant upon God and not ourselves. We are dependent upon God even for daily provision and not ourselves. He is the one who sustains. He is the one who gives and He gives in accordance with His will. It is we who receive and ask that He give us what we need for today. I think the language in this section of the prayer is interesting. Give us today our daily bread. It's not give give me today the bread for the next month. It's not give me today the, dead, the bread, bread for the next year. It's give us today what we need for today. I think if we were to sit down and make a list of the things that we need, it would sometimes be drastically different from the list of things that God knows that we need. And so this is another prayer of surrendering to God's will and asking and trusting that God will provide for us and provide what we need for today. So let's pray to our sustainer and our provider, that he would give us what we need for today.
Father, you have been so gracious, so generous to us. I think if we were to make a list of all the ways, both small and large, that you have provided for us, the list would be far too long to record. God, we thank you that you have promised to meet our needs. You are our shepherd. We lack nothing. You lead us to green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. You are the one who restores our souls. Lord, we are convinced today that your goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives. Lord, we ask today that you would give us what we need for today. We trust that you are faithful and will provide. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
of this prayer, in the same way that we rely upon God for our daily provision, we rely upon Him for the forgiveness of our sins. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This word debts is a Greek word that can be interchanged with the word sins or offenses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's also another important note here, verses 14 and 15 of this text seem to be a footnote um, to this, and I don't, rather than just skip over these at the end of the prayer, I, I want to make sure that we talk about them. Verse 14 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15 says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive their sins. And these can be problem verses for some people, so I want to make sure we uh, engage with these this morning. Verses 14 and 15, you might read this and think, was this, is this contradicting the rest of Scripture? Is is these verses telling me that my salvation, the forgiveness from God is contingent upon me doing something. And so we need to talk about this and understand uh, what Jesus is trying to tell us uh, in these verses. And I think a way that we can interpret what Jesus is saying here, uh, he talks about it in the positive in verse 14, that those who have truly understood God's forgiveness, those who have truly repented of their sin and, and have understood what Jesus has done for them, on the cross and have received the forgiveness, forgiveness of God, they will forgive other people. We will be motivated by the Holy Spirit within us to love as Jesus loved, to forgive as we have been forgiven. But then he addresses it in the negative in verse 15 by saying, if you, if you do not forgive other people's your sins, your Father will not forgive you. And I think he's addressing that in the negative also, that those who are unwilling to forgive uh, other people have not truly understood and received God's forgiveness. They have not truly understood and received what Jesus has done for them on the cross. But it's clear in Christ's prayer here that it is vitally important that we confess our sin to the Lord and that we receive His forgiveness, but also that it's vitally important for us as followers of Jesus to extend that same forgiveness to those who wrong us. And I can think of no better time in this service than to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, acknowledging uh, that our forgiveness came at a cost. The price of our forgiveness was paid through the blood of Jesus in His death on the cross. So the reason that we can even pray this prayer and receive forgiveness of God is because our debt has been paid by Jesus as He gave Himself. And it's because of the sacrifice of Christ that has so extravagantly demonstrated the depth of God's love for us that now we, in turn, are motivated to share that love and forgiveness with others, even when they wrong us. And so we're going to take a moment uh, to spend some time in prayer confessing our sin to the Lord. So as we pray in these moments, we're going to confess our sin, but we're also going to receive His forgiveness, trusting God at His Word, uh, where His Word tells us that if we will confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's pray 
and then I'll wrap us up in prayer, and we'll eat the bread, and we'll drink the cup together as I read um, Scripture through that. So let's take a moment, uh, spend some time in confession. Lord, would you have mercy on us according to your unfailing love? According to your compassion, would you blot out our transgressions and cleanse us from sin? God, it is against you and you only that we have sinned, and it's from you that we seek forgiveness. We know today that this forgiveness only comes through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Lord, we ask now that you would create in us pure hearts and restore to us the joy of our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to hold the, the bread in your hand in the same way, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. Mercy is 
riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than dark. Aren't you thankful? The final section of this prayer, <clears throat> lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer flows logically from the last one. Now that we have been cleansed of sin, we request of God that we might step back into the fight and resist temptation, that we might not sin again. We petition God to keep us from temptation, to give us strength to have victory over the temptation when it comes. We know from James chapter 1 verse 13 that no one should say, God is tempting me. God does not tempt anyone, but we know from Scripture that God allows our faith to be tested. And so we go through the testing, trusting that God will be faithful to His Word, specifically in 1 Corinthians 10, that God does not test beyond what we can bear. His Word tells us He will always provide a way out for us to have victory over temptation. So today we pray this prayer in awareness of our weakness, and once again, in awareness of our reliance upon God, that we need His help. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer now, praying that God might keep us pure until the day of Christ. Father, as we leave this place and step back into the fight today, would you help us to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. Father, we know that you are stronger than the enemy we face. And through the power of Christ, we have the victory in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us today. Would you give us resolve to resist temptation? Would you refine us, Lord, develop perseverance within us, and help us to remain pure and blameless until the day that Christ would return? So we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As we close today, let's stand together. And we're going to sing this song. We're going to sing this powerful declaration of our hope in Christ. That Christ is our hope in life and death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? 
What comes apart from his command And what will keep us to the end The love of Christ in which we stand Oh, sing hallelujah Our hope springs eternal Oh, sing Christ our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? It's everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forever. our hope in life and death. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. All God's people said, Amen. Thank you for being here today. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.